religious people need to decide which kind of religion they're going to say they're part of because the destructive fundamentalist religious stuff to our mind is a huge part of the problem. Welcome to Climate Check, stories and solutions for fighting climate change. We are part of 350 Brooklyn, an organization that strives to counter the climate crisis through local action. We work towards a world that is just, equitable, and sustainable, and where all beings can thrive. I'm Eva Dean, she, her, your host of Climate Check. I'm a climate activist and a Brooklyn-based choreographer. On today's episode, we're discussing faith and climate activism. Our guest is Fletcher Harper, an Episcopal priest and the executive director of Green Faith. Green Faith is a global, multi-faith, environmental, and climate justice organization. Fletcher is the author of Green Faith, Mobilizing God's People to Save the Earth. Hi, Fletcher. Welcome. Hey, it's great to be here. It's wonderful that you're here today to talk about Green Faith and the world of religion-inspired climate activism. So welcome again. Great to be with you all. Thanks for the invitation. Would you mind introducing yourself with your pronouns? I'm Fletcher Harper, he, him pronouns on Lenape land in northern New Jersey, and I'm the executive director of Green Faith. Can you tell us a bit about your climate story? You know, it's got two sort of components to it. One, which I think is really common, but under-examined in the climate movement is that when I was a kid and throughout my life, my most powerful spiritual experiences have happened in relationship to the natural world. And that's extremely widespread, but not adequately recognized. And so that's a big part of my motivation is that, you know, it's about protecting something that's sacred. I think a second piece is I was an Episcopal parish priest for 10 years. And towards the end of that time as a parish priest, started to understand the connections between economic and racial and gender justice and protection of the environment and climate justice. And that combination, those things together, were the impetus for moving into getting Green Faith going. So we chatted earlier today, and I learned that you're one of the founding members of Green Faith. Can you tell us a bit about that? It it started in the 90s, right? It started in the early 90s with a group of grassroots volunteers from different religions in New Jersey, actually, getting together and starting to talk about why isn't religion saying anything about the environment? What's What's the deal? And there was, so there was an early volunteer stage and the organization got incorporated late in the 90s. And at the time, this, I mean, the environmental movement had been underway for decades, but this was pretty new in religious circles. There just wasn't a lot of engagement going on. You would say religion and the environment to people and they'd kind of stare at you like they'd said a, like you'd said a Buddhist koan or something like that, like you had to reflect really hard. But its predecessor, which was called Partners for Environmental Quality, got going in that way. I got involved because I felt the connection really deeply. And I was really fortunate. I was at a stage where I was looking to make a transition, I thought, from one parish to the next parish in my own career. And then I got involved with this and started getting more and more interested. And the group was trying to find its legs and figure out how to move forward. And 
one meeting, they turned to me and said, would you like to lead this up? And one guy said, why don't you go home and write a, a job description for yourself? And I I went home and it was, this is where it gets kind of real religious. It was like, boom, it was there. You know, it was a revelation or an epiphany or a visitation or there's lots of good old Catholic words around that stuff and religious words too, but it was for real. It was like, you know, I felt it really deeply and it was a sort of intellectual, emotional, spiritual coming together. And that that was getting shot out of the cannon a, a couple of decades ago now. <laughs> shot out of a cannon to do your calling. So it's been a while since Green Faith has been in existence. My understanding from chatting with you is that it's grown to be a worldwide organization. You know, we've grown really organically. We start out just in, you know, in New Jersey with all of its environmental problems. And then based on word of mouth and connections we made, we started working nationally across the United States, doing leadership training work, helping congregations take on real serious, deep greening of their identities. And then through the fossil fuel divestment movement and the big people's climate march mobilizations, started to develop relationships internationally. And now we've got team members in Uganda and Tanzania and Kenya, Ghana, in France and Germany, in Brazil, in Indonesia and Japan. So it's, you know, this this idea of a really, truly grassroots, multi-faith climate justice approach is a really important niche in a wider movement ecosystem. So I think we've, you know, we've got a role that really matters. The interconnectedness on a worldwide scale is such a beautiful thing because we need all of us to mitigate this climate crisis. I wanted to get back to you about your beginnings with nature and starting to understand nature and how interconnected it is with your feelings about the climate and the world. What inspired you to make that connection with being an Episcopal church? Like, how did that segue? Was that natural for you? You know, one answer is, why did it take so long, in a sense? You know, if you look at the fact that the social science research shows that 65 to 75% of people, when they're asked, where did your most powerful spiritual experience happen? They say outdoors somewhere. So there's this mother load of, of really powerful spiritual experience that people have that's absolutely accessible to them. It's not like a deep buried memory. It's right there for folks. For me, if you've got to preach a sermon every week, you've got to be able to connect with what's real for you. So that was one way that it came back. The other, the other angle was the social justice angle. And it's like, it's wrong to destroy and torture nature. It's wrong to kill people with air pollution and climate pollution and toxic contamination. It's wrong to torture hundreds of millions of other sentient beings with the way that we treat animals around the planet. It's wrong to desecrate landscapes that, I mean, I don't like a lot of religious language just by, you know, use it by rope, but it's like, what a sacred gift. The idea that standard operating procedure in Western civilization and at a global level now is just to rip it up and pollute it. I mean, that's that. So to me, it just sort of emerged in that kind of way out of a genuine religious place, but definitely connecting with social movements for climate and environmental justice. 
so there's a broad group of different religions. How do you connect the various religions with climate activism? One way that it it gets connected is that what I see is on a global level in different contextualized ways in different countries and in different religions, there is this reemergence of an understanding that the earth and life, not in a pro-life way, but the earth and there's a sacredness there that's for real and that that's what we're fighting for. That what is playing out now is, you know, without being like unhelpfully melodramatic, but this is like a serious life versus death kind of struggle. So it connects on that level. So Buddhists will talk about the interconnectedness of all beings. Hindus will talk about ahimsa, nonviolence towards the earth. Christians and Jews and Muslims will talk about respect for the creator, about, you know, Muslims will talk about the earth as an ayat, a sign of Allah that points to Allah's existence. Um, you know, there are a lot of different, you know, early in Christianity, there was, you know, things about there are two books that you read to learn about God. One's the Bible and one is the book of nature. So, you know, there are a lot, there are different metaphors that different religions use to articulate what this is about, but they cohere to me around this sort of, you know, it's it's beyond words. There's something that's that's unbelievable and that's awesome and that's sacred and that is totally at risk now. And if you are at all awake, you're not okay with that. And you're going to take something, you're going to take some kind of action. That, that, I mean, that's a crude articulation of, of the shared thing. Fletcher, I hear you talk about these different religions and how they approach nature and how it's an ex- existential crisis. What I want to say is that our well-being as living creatures, as well as other creatures on the planet, we're, we're at risk. So I hear you on that. What I'd like to ask you about is there's another group, a conservative right-wing group that are really hostile. Uh, this is your words when we were chatting earlier. They're hostile towards many of the aspects of living on the planet in a whole and healthy way, leading us towards this existential crisis. I'd like to hear your thoughts in more depth about conservative right-wing groups. I mean, I think when you look at at the religious picture, uh, you know, at a sort of high level, what we see around the world is you, you can break it in approximately into three groups. One is you've got fundamentalist arch conservative religious populations that make up anywhere from 25 to 40% of the religious population in a given region. You've got 5 to 15% of the religious population that would fit into the religious progressive silo. And then you've got 50% or so who are sort of in the middle. Religion may or may not be that important to them, but it's still a part of their life one way or the other. And you know, what What we want to say really loudly is that the arch-conservative fundamentalist religious communities have a global agenda that is almost always anti-women's rights, anti-LGBTQ, pro-authoritarian 
government and pro-extractive industry. And that these religious, these right-wing religious groups, you know, when people say, oh, what's the cause of the climate crisis? It's very easy to say, you know, lousy governments, you know, extractive industry, you know, ugly financial institutions. But very few people say right-wing cultural and religious forces as a real legitimizer of, of those other bad actors. But that's a, so part of what we say is religion's part of the problem and religious people need to decide which kind of religion they're going to say they're part of because the destructive fundamentalist religious stuff to our mind is a huge part of the problem. The other problem I think with religion is that too often that block in the middle is just utterly dull and boring and sort of serves to legitimize the status quo and maybe provide sort of modest scale spiritual support for people on an individual basis, but does not couple that with a really strong level of social engagement on behalf of peace and harmony and social justice at a deep level. So I think, you know, religion, you know, religion has, has the religious sector has got a lot of work to do to, um, you know, to use a metaphor that some people may not like so much, but to punch at its weight, basically. I mean, people like to say 80% of the world's population is, is religious, as if that's unquestionably a good thing or unquestionably a lever for change. Our feeling is, all right, let's, let's prove that, let's prove that religion is really, you know, is really playing its role. And up till now, in our estimation, it's not. There are good folks doing good stuff. Long, long way to go. How does like-minded religious leaders, like the religious leaders in Green Faith, how do you talk to the people who are in the middle? How do we engage the people who are not actively engaged? I think this is where there's a sort of interesting conversation to have about what can be a differentiating or differentiated role for the religious sector in the climate movement. So a first thing we do is we say some stuff out loud that other groups don't want to say, which is which is the <clears throat> critique of right-wing religion that I just mentioned, and to say, you got to choose which side you're on. You know, so part of it is engaging people in the middle by saying, are you for a religion that is anti-women, anti-LGBTQ, anti-people of color in many ways, racial and cultural and religious minorities? And that, by the way, wants to destroy the planet, too. Or are you in favor of a religion that celebrates life and its diversity, that is committed to a future where everybody and all life can prosper? You know, so the part of it, you know, part of it, you talk to people about, you know, making a choice. A second a second thing is, I think that it is really important for a religious audience to show that we can bring a strong and impassioned message <clears throat> with a level of public dignity that over the centuries has characterized some of the best religious activism. So what you know when you think about Gandhi, when you think about Dr. King, one of the things that you think about is the remarkable eloquence and dignity that there was a motivation that was clearly coming from a deeper place than simple rage. 
or simple pain. And I think that um, we find that a certain amount of the rhetoric of the progressive climate movement comes across to many people in the religious centrist group that I've mentioned as being motivated more heavily by anger or disgust than by love and a genuine thirst for what's right. I realize that that may strike some people in the audience in a way that they don't like, and it's not my intention to be offensive. I'm saying what we're experiencing, what we see in the religious community. Now, we want to bring a critique, but we find that to bring that critique of what's wrong, we need to show that we also understand what it means to understand what needs to be right. And, you know, you know, the civil rights movement talked about the blessed community. So that's I think that's a you know, that's one of the ways that we are able to engage that religious centrist is we say we see a world that is possible where everybody has access to clean energy, where there's clean air and clean water that enable and a stable climate that enables all people to grow up in a healthy community full of possibility and potential. We see a world where millions of people, hundreds of millions of people can get lifted out of poverty by good paying green jobs and by the opportunities that those create. We see a future where the wealthiest few that hoard the resources that are necessary for planetary well-being are instead required to share that abundance in a man, you know, blah, blah, blah. You get the idea. You got it. We've got to have a positive vision alongside the negative critique. Um, and we've got to sort of also help manage the anxiety that comes with change. You know, um, you know, we can do this. What do you see as Green Faith's most important accomplishments? I, you know, I think on a real concrete level, you know, I think we played an important role in getting big multi-faith turnouts at major public climate mobilizations. I think we've played a big role in inspiring and organizing growing numbers of people of faith to be willing to take part in peaceful civil disobedience at important moments in the climate movement. I think we've been able to demonstrate repeatedly that there are people of faith who care enough that they're ready to stand up in awkward or uncomfortable ways in public to call for, for climate justice, not just to say nicely, oh, we'll say a prayer during church or, you know, during temple or the at the mosque, but, you know, we'll get up out of the pews and off the prayer rugs and go into the streets. Um, so I, I think it's, you know, uh, I, you know, I, I think we've been willing to, I'm, I'm proud that we've been willing to argue publicly with established large religious organizations on fossil fuel divestment, for exist, for example, where, you know, a lot of them at first said, no way, this isn't right. We can't do this. We disagree. And, you know, we, we, we had the argument publicly and in a lot of cases we made real progress. So those, those are the kinds of things. And I'm, you know, and, and more recently, 
I'm really proud of our courageous team members in East Africa who've been standing up repeatedly in the face of threats from the government and from Total, the big French oil giant, to oppose the East Africa crude oil pipeline. I'm really proud of our diverse multi-faith partners in France who've been carrying out the really creative public actions there to put pressure on Total in a, in a public environment that's really hostile towards religion generally. I'm proud of our team members in Indonesia who are taking public. So it's, you know, it's religious people going public creatively and, and courageously. I'd like to hear a bit more about your vision for green faith moving forward. What would be a forward motion from here? For us, there are a couple of dimensions to that. One is that really good sort of use publicly of sacred texts, the Bible, the Quran, the Vedas, other religious sources, the sutras, to to build a, a strong, deep cultural upsurge of support for climate act, for real climate action. I think that there's an increased role. There's a there's a power that those sacred words and writings can have if they're used with a deep commitment and real strategic intelligence. So I think to build, I think that's a piece. I think a second piece is larger numbers of grassroots and high-level faith leaders getting involved at meaningful levels. Can you tell us specifically about initiatives in the New York, New Jersey area Green Faith is involved in? I know you were involved in the March to End Fossil Fuels. What are you actively engaged in now? We are organizing a larger base of faith allies in the greater New York area to begin ongoing campaigning and activism to pressure big banks and asset managers and to press the U.S. government. And in both cases, the goal is stop funding, financing, and permitting new fossil fuel projects, start putting a lot more resources into just climate solutions. In early May, we'll be organizing a global multi-faith week of action called Faiths for Climate Justice. So we're going to start planning our actions for that. So that's our next thing is to do the welcome people who joined us at the March and start planning towards our next public action in May. How can our listeners get involved in Faiths for Climate Justice? For folks in the greater Brooklyn area, what I would suggest is reach out to Reverend Chelsea McMillan, an interspiritual minister who's our organizer. Her email is chelsea, C-H-E-L-S-E-A, at greenfaith.org. Send her a, a message and she'll loop you, she'll loop you right in. And we'd love to have folks who have a sort of deep religious or spiritual sensibility around this stuff. And we we work we work with a pretty wide range of folks. Some people say, oh, if you're spiritual but not religious, what about that? And we're very down with that. That's part of our community. I'd like to talk about your book, Green Faith, Mobilizing God's People to Save the Earth. 
Your book talks about the role of nature in various different religious traditions, and we've touched a bit about that. How does your understanding of the connection between nature and belief inform your environmental work? There are two ways. One is first, it, it grounds it in a, a pretty deep place for me that is beyond simple politics or economics, but that is at the sort of an, an ideology, but that it's for me is at a very deep human level, a sort of deepest identity level. So I think that's, you know, that intersection between gratitude and awe and wonder at nature and my belief in the existence of God, that that for me, it, it plays a grounding role. And then the second way is that for many, many centuries, religious communities around the world have talked about what a harmonious, just, compassionate world looks like. And I find that the language that they use and the descriptions they give, to me, use language that I resonate with at a deeper level and trust to a greater level than I trust a lot of political formulations around it. So I, I like the idea that, I mean, politics is absolutely necessary as is economics. I like the idea of a strong religious critique of that to, to try to help counterbalance the inevitable corruption that seeps into politics and, and money. And it's not like religion is without corruption. I mean, we talked about that earlier, but I also still think that's a, a good role that religion can and should play. We've had a very rich conversation about spirituality, which doesn't necessarily have to be organized around a religion, and nature and the climate crisis. I really appreciate this conversation. I want to make sure... Is there anything else that you would like to talk about that we missed? You know, I would love to encourage people who are listening to this, who are part of synagogues or mosques or churches or temples that aren't doing anything or enough yet, to give them a nudge and tell them we're there to help and that we'd like to, you know, we'd like to engage with them. Because I think that there's still an awful lot of potential for engaging more religious and spiritual communities around this. Where can we get more information on climate activism rooted in religious belief? Uh, I think the best place to go is start at our website, which is greenfaith.org. And you'll be able to check what part of the world you're in and and connect with what's with what's going on there. So that that's and then we're on Instagram and X and Facebook at at Green Faith World. It really has been our pleasure to have you on this episode. Thank you so much. And thank you to Green Faith. Thank you for the really enjoyable time to talk and and thanks to 350 and 350 Brooklyn. I mean let's let's all, you know, we're all in this together. We certainly are. Really good to connect. That's it for this episode of Climate Check, Stories and Solutions. Thanks for listening. To subscribe, go to climatecheck.fm. Climate Check is a production of 350 Brooklyn in Brooklyn, New York. Stay up to date with our releases by following 350 Brooklyn on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Our production team is Alyssa Kropp, Barbara Schroeder, Bryn Fuller-Becker, that's me, 
Eva Dean, Peter Kamali, and George Ostro. The music you heard in this episode is from Blue Dot Sessions. 350 Brooklyn is a local affiliate of 350.org, a worldwide grassroots climate organization. Join us in finding solutions to counter climate change.